Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome to the Savor Podcast. We're so excited for you to join us today as we dive into the goodness of God together. Our hope is for you to be encouraged, challenged, and entertained as you listen to hosts Stacy and Suzanne, along with special guests as they have honest and real conversations about how to savor God's word as they grow in their relationship with Christ. We hope you'll encourage a friend or two to listen with you so you can keep the conversations going. We're all about community here. Hey, hey, friends. Um, We are finally back for our last episode in our Amos series. I know it's taken us a minute, but we're here, right, Stacey? We're here. We are. I'm so sorry that it took us (laughs) a minute or 784 minutes or something like that. Well, you know, you're working with our schedules, but also our producer? Is that what he's called? Yes, yes. Yeah, and he was out of town and we didn't know it and it was just, you know, but it's all worked out. This is probably... God's timing for this message, right? We're going to believe that it's God's sovereignty and His providence in action. Uh, Hopefully, that will make more sense by the end of this episode, right? Yes, absolutely. But you know, we have, we do, we are busy women, like everybody listening. And also, Stacy got to go on a little vacation that you had planned for months, and so that put a little wrench in it. But did you have fun? I did. I did. It was interesting. It was very interesting. I want to back up one second. Yeah. Because I say this all the time, but people will say to me, like, oh, you're so busy. You're so busy. And I have learned to switch that word out because there is a negative connotation Mm. with the word busy or for me, a prideful connotation with the word busy. And instead of that, I've just said, I have a full schedule. I pack my schedule to the fullest and I have a full schedule. And to me, I know it's semantics and it's nuance, but to me, I like to say we both have very full schedules instead of busy schedules. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just something I say all the time. Yeah. This is a busy week for me. I say that a lot because some weeks with the nature of my job, I do have weeks that aren't as busy. So or as full. Right. So that's a good way to say it. I'm just kidding. This is a full week for me. Yes. Because to me, it doesn't have such a negative connotation. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to bother you. You're so busy. And it's like, busy means I'm distracted in my mind uh-huh. or I am preoccupied with other things. And relationships are so important to me. And I know they are to you yeah. as well. That makes sense. I that, like it. So anyway, but yes, back to the uh, treehouse that we got you, to go. You vacationed in a treehouse. Yes. Well, actually, technically, we were in a geodesic dome. So shout out to um, the Bolt Treehouse Farms. Tori and Seth Bolt own it. If you guys don't know, Seth Bolt is a member of the band Need to Breathe, and him and his wife have started this place in Whitwell. Tennessee. So if you're anywhere near Whitwell, Tennessee, please let us know because uh, we spent a week there. It's a really cool little place. The view was amazing. So we basically stayed in this like big dome that's made out of clear plastic and um, it was very luxurious. A couple of things were a little odd. So no indoor shower only an outdoor shower. Which you did not know before you got there, right? That there was only an outdoor shower. I did not know that. The other thing I did not know was there were no doors on the bathroom. And 25 years of marriage, my husband and I still, we like Y'all are very private. Yes. My husband and I talk about that a lot as, as he's using the bathroom and I'm showering right about four feet from each other. Yeah, no, no. Like, you know, Stacey and Chris don't do this. Maybe this isn't normal. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think... Normal for so you finally people. after twenty five years reached a new level in your marriage. Oh, no or, way! Or what? How did that work? You had to like go for a walk, or yeah. 
And one morning, Chris got up and went outside. And then I was in the bathroom, and immediately he came back in. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, there's a coyote out there. You're like, I don't care. I don't care. Get back outside, man. Go out with the coyotes already. That's funny. That's funny. Anyway, it was great. I would highly recommend it. So if you guys are looking for a cool place. Yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes so you can kind of check it out online. They have mirror cabins that are in the woods that are completely glass and you can't really see them because they reflect all the woods around them. They have these tree houses that they've built and then they have like eight or nine of these geodesic domes. It was really cool. It was really cool. Yeah. And the whole point is to disconnect and to um, just kind of refresh. And so we did that for a week and it was a lot of fun. Well, look, I'm glad you got to do that. I'm glad you got to disconnect from the podcast. Yes, and so unfortunately that meant the podcast didn't get uploaded yeah, on time. but it's all good. It is all good. It And no matter what, God is sovereign, isn't he? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so this will be our last day to do Amos. So yes. we've kind of walked through this um, really gem of a book. I've really enjoyed this. I've never read Amos through, I'm going to be honest, before this. And it really, I really enjoyed it, which at first glance, when you start reading it, you're like, this book it sucks and I'm going to move on to the gospel or something. Yes. Yeah. But I do too. And and I think today will not disappoint. We're digging into chapters seven through nine today. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting into the last few chapters of Amos. And again, it's not going to sound great when we start in Amos seven, but hang with us to the end of this episode because the end of nine is very hopeful. And that's what we want to leave you guys with today is some hope. Yep. So um, one of the things you had asked me before we got started is what was kind of like my takeaway from seven specifically. And um, I mean, there's great things in here, but for me, I, uh, well, again, in the beginning of mine, it says that Um, They cried out to the Sovereign Lord. Mine starts out with saying, um, this is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. And it's talking a lot about the Sovereign Lord. What Before I kind of get into what my takeaway from this is, like, can we define that? Or what what would you say if I was like, what does that mean, a Sovereign Lord? Yeah, I I love that too. And I think you're reading the NIV version. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading the New American Standard 1995 version. And mine just says Lord God instead of Sovereign Lord. So you'll see it translated differently in different versions. And, um, but I do think there is this indication of him being sovereign. And so that's kind of one of those terms that, you know, we hear but do we know how to really define it and really what it meant to the people that Amos was speaking to when this would have all been written down and recorded? And I, when I think about the idea of the sovereignty of God, so if we're just going to talk in theological terms and I think about the sovereignty of God, I think of the full power and authority, supreme indisputable power and authority completely in control Mm. is what I think of when I think of the sovereignty of God. Um, There are a couple of other passages in scripture that kind of talk about that. And one of them is Psalm 24 and then 2 Corinthians 6, 18 talk about this idea of God being in control. But one of the things that I think is so beautiful is the idea of, um, so yours says the sovereign Lord, Mm -hmm. mine says the Lord God. 
It literally is translated, though, as uh, the Lord King or the King Lord, because the idea of sovereignty for the time of Amos, yes, it does mean indisputable, all-powerful, in control, but they would have thought about it as their king. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you see it as the Lord God Almighty, and especially in the New Testament, we may see that. So when you are reading in Scripture and you hear Lord God Almighty, immediately it should make us think about this idea of possessing all power and authority, having full control. But one of the things sometimes that happens to me when I think about that is I get scared of that. Like, oh, he's this all-powerful, controlling Mm -hmm. God. And it intimidates me and scares me. One of the things that I think we lose in English today and that we lose in our modern society and the way that our government rules is this idea of having lordship, king, like a ruling king. And when they would have been referring to these terms that today we're using Lord God Almighty or the Sovereign Lord or Lord God. They would have been thinking about their king. And for them at that time, the people who were ruled by the king had a sincere love for their king because the king had the best interest of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom. And so when we think about God's sovereignty, yes, he is totally, completely in control, full of power and authority. But I want to challenge us to think about it in a way where he is our ruling king and we have a love and a desire to be in relationship with him and a desire to serve him because not only is he completely in control, full of all power and all authority, but simultaneously he is holy and completely good and cannot do harm. And so I think that helps make it less intimidating when we think about the all-powerful God. Um, So those are just kind of some of my thoughts on that when we first hear that term, sovereign Lord or the sovereignty of God, his power and his authority. And we see that kind of play out in the next few verses in Amos, which get a little weird, don't you think? A little bit, a little bit. What, What do you think got most weird for you when you were reading it? So again, in my version, um, if you jump to verse 3, so basically in in 7 and 8, Amos has been given visions by God. So he's seeing a picture, and really the picture that Amos is seeing is incredibly horrific. He's seeing Mm -hmm. these locusts that are coming, and they're swarming, and they're eating the crops right as they're springing up. And again, for this society and for Amos, who's a farmer, we know in seven, um, I think it was in seven, where he says, hey, I'm not really a prophet. I'm a fig farmer and I'm a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so for him as a farmer, when he sees this vision of these locusts that are coming and destroying the crops, that's destroying all sense of their livelihood. For them, when the crops got wiped out, there's famine and people die. And so he's seeing these dramatic visions. And what I love about it is Amos responds in prayer to God. And this points back to God's sovereignty. And the part that gets weird is, so Amos sees the vision. And in verse two, he says, Lord God, please pardon. I mean, he is literally yelling at God, Mm -hmm. like with the most intense emotion. He's interceding on the behalf. And he says, how can Jacob stand for he is so small? 
And then it says in verse three, in my version, the Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. What in the world does it mean? I thought God was immutable, unchanging. What in the heck does it mean he changed his mind? Again, I think our translations sometimes do a disservice to what the original meaning and intent was. What does your version say in 7.3? 7.3 says, so the Lord relented. Okay. Yeah. And some versions will actually use the word repented, which really confuses the Mm -hmm. heck out of us because why would God repent? Well, that doesn't make sense to us, but so we have to take what do we know to be true? Well, God didn't repent in the way that man would repent. God didn't change his mind or relent because God can't sin. He's incapable of it because he's wholly perfect and set apart and without ability to sin. So we know it can't mean that. And we know that God isn't like willy-nilly changing his mind all the time. So what does it actually mean? And I, I think what it's trying to communicate to us is the fact that there is sovereignty. There is a an all-powerful, controlling God who has the ability to bring about good. And Amos knew that, and it led Amos to prayer, which led God to action. And so I think sometimes, and we have a whole podcast series on prayer. So mm-hmm. if you want more information about that, like why pray if God already knows what's going to happen. So we're not going to get into all of that. But I love the fact that when Amos is given this really terrible vision, It leads him to intercede and pray because he knows who God is. And if you don't know who God is, look at God's word. That's what this is all about, is savoring the goodness of God by delighting in God's word. And we see God in Exodus describing himself as abounding in love, being steadfast and full of compassion. And Amos knew that king, that sovereign ruling king, and that's the God he went to. And so God didn't change his mind, but God yielded to what Amos was praying for and interceding. I think you were sharing with me earlier some thoughts from a theologian that you follow about what does it mean when God relented in scripture? Yeah, so it all comes down to this Hebrew word Nahum. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if that's how I can say it, but it's probably close enough. Um, and it really is, this number one, this is a theological controversial idea. Number Very one. Complex. So we're not gonna like give you a bent one way or the other in this podcast. This is like a flyover fly of it. But my understanding from him is that um, it's kind of like a command, like God commands us to love one another. That is never gonna change. Um, kind of versus an announcement is what he was saying. Like, hey, this is gonna happen if this doesn't happen. Right. We've already seen that they've been calling the people to repent. Yes. So I feel like he's like made an announcement and Amos is lamenting and crying out to God and praying to God. And again, go back to our prayer series because we talk about that. Like how does the problem I think theologically for us that oftentimes leads us to doubt is not being able to reconcile all these things together. God's sovereignty, our free will, why pray and Uh, Really, it comes down to faith and trust for me. Like, I'm not going to know all the intricacies of how this works because my brain is so tiny compared to God's, right? But, I mean, if y'all have questions more about that, I think we could get into that or we'll be glad to go a little deeper into it. But to be honest, it's just kind of like that 
for me anyway, it's that that mysterious space in my faith that I don't understand how it all works. Right. But I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is good. I know that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Yes. And that's what I that's what I know to be true. The yes. things that I don't know or that I'm uncertain about how they all work. I think you said this before. I have no idea how my car works. I have no idea how when I push that little button, my car will drive me home from here. But that doesn't change the fact that my car is going to drive me home. Right. That's so true. That's such a good analogy. I, I love that analogy. And, and kind of further to that point, too, if you're still wrestling with that, just know it's okay to wrestle with that. It's okay to have some place of mystery and not understanding. But I want to encourage you, maybe check out Jeremiah chapter 18. So Jeremiah, again, another, he was the weeping prophet, poor Jeremiah. He had to cry all the time and and lament. But um, in Jeremiah 18, it says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Jeremiah basically told, uh, I mean, the Lord basically told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and I will announce my words to you. I will tell you what's going to happen. And so Jeremiah goes in and the potter is making something on the on the wheel. And then all of a sudden, um, the clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So the clay just kind of collapsed. And so the potter remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make it. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, um, can't I deal with the house of Israel in the same way that this potter deals with this clay? And then he goes on, Jeremiah 18, starting in verse 7, um, says, at one moment, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, at one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent that same Nahum word that we just talked about concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So we see again in Jeremiah and other places in scripture, um, Jonah and the proclamation that went out against Nineveh. All of those are ways where God is not making a binding commandment that is irrevocable. He is making some announcements. And again, he's using visions to show Amos this is what's going to happen. And the ruling king at the time in northern Israel and the priest in that area were like, shut up, Amos, stop prophesying. You don't know. Go prophesy somewhere else. We don't want to hear what you have to say. And sometimes we do that to God. I mean, seriously, sometimes I'm like, stop talking to me about that, God. I know I have judgmental thoughts in my head. I just don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about something else. And the kindest, most compassionate thing that my king, my sovereign God can do is say, hey, Stacy, continue down that path and calamity is coming after you. And we just don't want to hear it. Sometimes we're like the priests that were in northern Israel at that time. We were like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think that's a very good depiction of just not only where we can be individually, but our culture. Like if we think about, um, like for me, when I was reading this, I really held on to this uh, plumb line um, where it talks about um, the Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. 
And um, what what is a plumb line? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I have to look that up. But you mean uh, you're not in construction? Should yeah. we call our friend it's something Brandy? They use, it can even be like a string, right, or something. Yes. I don't know. But basically, it keeps things centered, and yes. so that the building or whatever is right and correct and will stand right. So, I mean, we have come a far way in our society. I mean, just on what we're doing to our children. You know, we can't we can't even stand on the truth as a society that there are boys and there are girls. Yep. Right? We can't even stand in that truth. So we've come so far from our plumb line, just like Israel had in Amos. Um, and so the plumb line for us in John 17, 17, it talks about we sanctify ourselves in the truth. Mm. And so for me, I really took that as, you know, our plumb line is the truth. Mm. which is God, which is the word. And it's just, that is our plumb line. And that's what he's trying to tell the people here. Yeah. Right. I mean, what I love that this says about God's character is when we, we read Amos, we don't, I think at first glance, get this warm, fuzzy feeling about God. But if you don't care about somebody and they are doing everything you told them not to do, that's good for them. And they're just you know, oppressing poor people, taking advantage of people, exploiting women, all of these things. Why would God care? Like, right. go live your life, live your truth, Israel. I mean, right? why would he care? But he loves us. So he wants us to come back, right? That's why he gives us um, another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. And so in that, I feel like the character of God that is revealed is his great love for us. That is so true. And it's hard for us sometimes to get that, that he's putting a plumb line there because we don't like it because it contradicts our feelings. I think that's the big rub for us. We feel a certain way. Well, I feel like God should do this, or I feel like God's word should say this. And your feelings may have value and they may have some influence, but your feelings, I've said it a hundred thousand times, cannot lead we must be sanctified in the truth because it is the only thing that will give us a firm foundation so that the whole building will not quake and fall. Yes. Amen. Amen. And it's hard. I mean, we're not saying this is like a super easy thing, like, oh, our plumb line is the truth of God. It's great. Let's, let's go live with our plumb line in, intact. We're not saying that's easy. I mean, it, it's hard. Sometimes this not sometimes. I would say a lot of times. This requires hard work from us, right? It We're requires building sacrifice. something. With Jesus, we are rebuilding the ruins of our life or our culture or our marriage or our relationships with other people, whatever that is. But if the plumb line is not the center, it won't stand. Yeah. And and the reason that we know we can trust it is because he is the Lord God Almighty. He is King of Kings. He's the great I am. And his truth is the only thing that will square everything up and center it. Even though his truth may be difficult in my own personal life and it may cost me and I may have to make sacrifices. Just yesterday, I was doing my own thing, had my own plans, ready to go my own way. And all of a sudden I get a phone call. And I have to turn around and go somewhere else, somewhere that I wasn't thrilled about going, somewhere that I wasn't like over the moon excited about. But in the end, making that choice to surrender to the Lord God Almighty, to the sovereign ruling king of my life 
was one of the greatest blessings. And so it did cost me what I had planned, what I wanted to do. And I think a lot of us have to ask ourselves, have we stopped? Have we slowed down long enough to listen to the warnings that God is giving us, to listen to the truth that God is communicating to us? And yeah, maybe it offends us at first, because I'll be honest, there are things in God's word that I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You mean I have to forgive that person every single time they hurt me every single time? Yeah, I have to forgive them. Now, I could also maybe put in some boundaries, and that's a whole nother topic. Right, right. But we are called to forgive over and over and over again. That's not easy. That doesn't come naturally to me. But when I put my trust in the Lord God Almighty, my ruling king, the one who has all power and control and authority, it changes things, and it's worth it in the end. And speaking of the end... Yes. But there is good hope that we can find as we move throughout Amos from here, right? Oh, yeah, there is. Actually, if we jump ahead to um, 8, when you look in chapter 8, again, God is giving Amos a vision. And I love this vision that God gives him because of where we are in our season right now, you and I, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. And it says, 8.1 says, thus the Lord God... So that, again, is that sovereign Lord God Almighty showed me Amos, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I'm going to spare them no longer. And he's telling them how bad things are going to get. And he's saying, hey, listen, Amos, the the summer fruit has been presented and it is here. And I'm not going to let this injustice go anymore because the fruit of righteousness is produced here in this. And it's and all the evil, all of that's coming to an end. If you remember back um, on our last episode, we talked about how he gave them a choice. He said, seek God and live. Seek good, not evil. If you seek evil, this is what's going to happen. And now he's showing Amos, hey, when you seek good, here is a basket of summer fruit to show the harvest has come. And y'all, we're in the middle of the summer. So who doesn't want to think about some summer fruit? I know, I love fruit. I know, I love it. It does not make you fat. If someone told you to go on a diet where you can't eat strawberries or watermelon or any of the beautiful, delicious, succulent nature's candy, yes, you should talk to someone else. Because come, come talk to us. We'll, we will tell you. And <laughs> listen, because in the is... savor moment today, we're going to give you a recipe with some good summer fruit. Yeah. I mean, I can't not fit in my pants sometimes because I ate too many strawberries. I'm going to be honest. It's probably yeah. French fries and pizza for me. So I'm just saying, <laughs> eat you some fruit. That's right. Because it is. It's God's candy. When my kids were little and they would want candy, my husband would always say, well, I can give you God's candy. You want God's candy? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And they're like, we'll take God's candy. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so cute. To this day, Won't we work call today, it. will it? No, we still call it God's candy in our house. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. Uh-huh. I so. love that. I'm going to start calling it God's candy in my house, too. Yeah. But anyway, God's candy is good for you, and there's a lot of hope to be found in the harvest, right? Yeah, there is. And that kind of leads us to the end of Amos 9. So, you know, Amos... One started out with the transgressions of the people and how God was going to send a fire to burn it down. And Amos went and he prophesied. And we see that throughout. And then we come to the end of Amos 9. And at the end 
of Amos 9. Um, I love starting in 13, and I'm just going to kind of read through the end because this is the hope we want you to walk away with. God is all-powerful, all-good, completely in control, and He has a good plan for you. So wherever you are today, whatever situation you are facing, we want you to put your hope in a God who sees you, who knows you, who sees every part of you. And this is what he says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. And that is a promise that we as God's children can hold on to, that there are days that are coming. So on those days when you are overwhelmed because that situation you have been praying about doesn't seem to getting any better. When the anxiety rises up inside of you, open your Bible, read Amos 9, 13 to the end, and believe God with expectation that there is a basket of summer fruit that is coming, that there will be the sweetest wine dripping from those mountains, and that ruined cities will be rebuilt. We will be planted in the land forever and ever and ever. Yeah, that's just a beautiful picture um, and sweet and so hope-filled. And I think um, before we get into our saver moment, I just wanted to, I wrote a quote from, you know, we talked about Jennifer Rothschild's um, study on Amos, and I wrote one of the quotes in my Bible. And I think this is one of the reasons we harp so much on, you know, prayer and worship and communing with God and reading um, the Bible and just spending time with Him so that you can know who he is, because her, the quote that I wrote in here from her study says, when you are low on hope, you need to see how high your God is. Mm. And I just loved that quote so much, because when we remember God and his goodness and his sovereignty, that's where we can draw that hope that we need to get through the rough days. And so um, there's fruit, there's fruit to be had, um, yes. God's candy for you. So what is our saver moment today? I'm super excited about this one. Okay, so our saver moment today is going to be this amazing recipe. Um, and I technically have not made it yet, but I tasted it and it was amazing. So this past weekend, we were downtown with my daughter who's home for the summer and we were doing the farmer's market. And then my husband was like, I'm hungry. I want to go sit down and eat somewhere. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I want to try this new deli. And I was like, okay, where is it? And he told me where it was downtown. And I was like, yeah, that's like right in the heart of College of Charleston. That's like a dingy college <laughs> diner, deadly. I don't really, to look at it, it's so unassuming. Um, and he's like, no, trust me, it's good. And 
so again, this is a beautiful analogy with God. My husband, in the 25 years I've been married to him, has never led me astray in the food situation, okay? He's never led me astray in anything, really. He's a good man. But especially food. But especially yeah. food. When my man says, try this food, I promise you'll like it, I'm going to try it. In the same way when God says, trust me, Stacy. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to just trust him. And so I was like, fine, we'll go to this deli. Y'all, we walk in. It's a tea tiny little deli. I mean, they got like boxes and crates stacked up everywhere, no ambiance. And the music is like disco, late night, rave party, pounding music. And my daughter was like, what in the world? I was like, I don't know. Let's just roll with it. So her and I order this whipped ricotta covered in summer berries over sourdough bread drizzled with honey. You guys, it was the best thing I have eaten in a really long time. So it did not disappoint. So I am going to include a recipe for you to try this whipped ricotta toast. So you whip up ricotta and then you had, it had raspberries and blueberries and strawberries, had a little bit of mint, like kind of Mm -hmm. sparsed across the top of it, drizzled with honey. If you're like me, you're probably going to want to drizzle it with hot honey. It was out of this world good. So we want you to make this whipped ricotta toast or eat some summer fruit and think about the goodness of God, that he is an all-powerful, fully in control God who wants to invade your life today with his hope that is coming for you through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we hope that you guys have enjoyed this series on the book of Amos. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear things that you want to hear about on the podcast, questions you have. Again, don't forget if you've made any of the recipes, take pictures of it, tag us on social media, let us know how it's going. I actually had a woman text me a really amazing focaccia bread recipe this Mm. past week with... um, Uh, garlic confit, which I was like, this sounds amazing. I could never make it, I don't think, but maybe someone in my house can. So that's going to be an upcoming recipe that we're going to share with you. We are so excited about where God is taking this podcast, and we are really excited about where God is taking you. And so we hope that you continue savoring the goodness of God. Thank you for being with us today here at Savor. This podcast is a ministry of Crosstown Church. For information about SOAR Women's Ministry or Crosstown Church, please visit CrosstownChurch.com or download the Crosstown app. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please remember to like, subscribe, or leave a review. This helps people find us.